again, friends, and welcome on into episode 141 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Thursday, October 8th, 2020, and I'm going to do three main things today. We're going to talk Broncos defense, we're going to talk Broncos offense, and of course, we're going to talk about just some news because... 2020 refuses to give up. Um, So we're going to talk some Brett Rippon because it does seem like he is at least on track to be the starter. So I'm going to talk about what you got to do to confuse my boy. We're going to talk about Justin Simmons, the safety for the Denver Broncos, who is one of the better safeties in the game right now, in my opinion. But before we do that, we're going to have to talk about some COVID. But before we do anything, your usual cavalcade of reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on the Twitter machine at Mark Schofield. Check out the work of places like Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Factory with the one and only, the venerable, the honorable, Michael J. Kist. And of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit, where I do all sorts of things. Like talk about the Patriots. And we have to start, unfortunately, with COVID. We have to start about our boy, Stephon Gilmore, now testing positive for COVID-19. That makes two players, Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore, now positive for COVID-19. And both players are said to be asymptomatic. Both players have come out and said that. There is a rumor floating around on social media that the two had dinner on Friday night. I don't know if that's true or not. Bill Belichick said he didn't know about that when he spoke to the media this morning. Now, thankfully for the Patriots, there have been no other positive tests to this point. Unfortunately, we do know. It's one of the few things we seem to know about this condition is that you can test negative, 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 and then finally positive. You can test positive, then negative, then positive again. I mean, I have some people that I know that have tested negative, positive, negative, or positive, negative, positive. Like, it's a tough test and it's a tough virus and these tests aren't always foolproof. So we hope, knock on wood, that there are no more positive tests coming. But as we've seen from other real world situations or the Tennessee Titans, positive tests may still be coming. The league has said that, look, we're going to go forward and try to play this game. So we continue to cross our fingers that we will get this game in. Now, the Titan situation is a lot different. It does seem that those players, when they were locked out of the facility, had some workouts on their own. And there is speculation now that that is going to lead to a penalty of what some are calling historic proportions. Some, Doug Farrar over a touchdown wire, has even gone as far to say, look, just shut them down for the year. That's it. You gave it the good college try. You can't be rewarded for this. You're done. Pack your bags. Go home. I don't know if the league goes that far, but it wouldn't surprise me if the league decides, we're hitting you with draft picks. Your next two first-rounders, they're gone. Sorry. we ha- If we're going to try to go ahead and play this year, you need to buy in. Everybody needs to do their part, and you're not doing it, so Sorry. So we keep our fingers crossed that this game is going to go forward. If it goes forward, there is a question about the starting quarterback for both teams. Cam Newton, this could be a big day. Thursday could be a big day because if he gets another negative test, 
from everything I understand and others understand about how the league is handling COVID-19 this year, he should be cleared to go. We'll see. So fingers crossed that we get camp. As for the Denver Broncos, we don't know if we're going to get Drew Locke or Brett Rippon. Locke was injured in a game a few weeks ago against the Pittsburgh Steelers, his throwing shoulder. He was limited at practice on Wednesday. Mike Kills and others, Benjamin Albright, who cover the Denver Broncos, have intimated that it's probably going to be Brett Rippon, given that they, the team does not feel they need to rush Drew Locke back. And would you want to rush him back against the New England Patriots on a road game? I'm not sure you do. Maybe he tries to go. Maybe not. So the expectation is we're going to see Brett Rippon. Yes, Brett Rippon, my boy. And those of you in the Slack channel and elsewhere were probably there on Thursday night or at least have heard me talk about Brett Rippon who got his first NFL start against the Jets. And it was largely a mixed bag at best. He had some tremendous throws. The second touchdown, the seam route in the red zone was the kind of throw that you don't often expect him to make. Velocity, placement, middle of the field. You know, the first touchdown to Jerry Judy, that was a 50-50 YOLO type throw that Judy won at the catch point. He had two good throws late in the game, setting up their field goal drive to win it. First where he overthrew just by a step Deshaun Hamilton on what would have been a touchdown. He was under pressure. Hamilton didn't even put his arms out. Hamilton puts his arms out. He might catch that. We're talking about Brett Rippon, QB God. But then he also hit Tim Patrick on a hole shot on a cover two look to move the chains in a third down situation. So I rewatched Brett Rippon's game on from Thursday night. And the main takeaway I have and the main thing that the Patriots need to do if he does get the start to beat him is to take away that first read. Because... While Brett Rippon, while he was at Boise State, was great between the years, experienced, heady, mature, worked through reads, all that stuff, I didn't see that on a consistent basis on Thursday night. Nate Tice, who backed up Russell Wilson at Wisconsin, who is part of the Athletic, does their Monday podcast with Robert Mays, uh, he pointed this out in-game, and it is backed up by watching the All-22. If his primary read, if his first read was there Thursday night, he is going to slice you up, period. But if he has to think about it, he's either too slow to get to that second read or he simply refuses. He's still going to throw to that first read. So I want to break down two interceptions, one of which gives us an interesting juxtaposition between Rippon and Jarrett Stidham, believe it or not. And that was the second interception he threw. He threw three in the game. The first one was an attempted throwaway that he messed up. That was bad. The second one from Pierre Desaire comes on a third and ten early in the fourth quarter. Now, those of you who remember me talking about Jared Stidham last year, you might remember me talking about a coverage called Five Cougar, right? As a quick refresher, Five Cougar is a trap coverage. To spell it out, as teams started running a lot of cover two, or cover two Tampa two, where you have that middle of the field runner helping protect between the safeties, offenses started using what we call Ohio, or go flat, okay? Okay. 
Because what that happens is when you're running cover two, that cornerback will have to carry or stay with vertical routes on the outside. So what teams would do is they'd run that outside guy on a go route, carries the safety, and then you've got that flat route from the inside receiver working against and now a linebacker who has inside leverage. So it, the go route opens up the flat, the flat route occupies that space. So teams started running trap coverage where that cornerback in the flat would take a couple of steps deep, showing the quarterback, yeah, 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 I'm carrying this deep, right? But you're still reading number two. You have your eyes on that inside receiver. If he breaks out to the flat, then you jump it, and you hopefully bait the quarterback into thinking he can throw the flat route. You jump it for an easy interception. It, it worked for a while, and sometimes it still works. But for the most part, quarterbacks now have figured that out. Once they see you trap down, they'll throw the whole shot before the safety can rotate over, and you get a big play in your hands. So then you get Saban and others running what we call five cougar which is sort of, it looks like cover two man. But the cornerback makes a man coverage turn. So he runs away from you. If you're a quarterback looking at it, you see this guy's back. And you're thinking, there's no way he's going to trap this. So you think you can throw the flat route. The problem becomes, even though this guy's running vertically, he's still trying to read that number two inside receiver. And so when he sees him run that flat route, he will then peel off of it and trap it anyway. Now, it's a difficult coverage to execute. You've got to be a savvy cornerback to be able to make that man coverage turn, run vertically, but still be reading through your inside shoulder. But it's even tougher for the quarterback to see it. And if you remember last year, I talked a lot about Jarrett Stidham seeing this coverage in a preseason game against the Lions, and he's about to throw the flat route. He sees the guy make that man coverage turn and then peel off and trap it. He pulls the ball down and scrambles for first down. And I like lost my mind. I'm like, this is heady stuff from a rookie quarterback, somebody that was drafted in the fourth round. The second interception ripping through on Thursday night was a go flat concept. And they ran this five Cougar at him. And so he's looking at it. He sees the man coverage or what he thinks is man coverage and he pulls the trigger, and right as he pulls the trigger, Pierre Desir, who's that cornerback, sees the flat route, comes off of it, and he throws it right to him. Now, the linebacker was underneath. Like He basically threw into triple coverage, but what really got him was the trap coverage. So that was the first interception. I mean, the second interception. The third interception, this was just basically shallow cross. They're running it out of 12 personnel. You've got one tight end chipping and releasing to the flat. You've got the other tight end running the dig route. And you've got the receiver running the post. So it's shallow cross, or you can call it mills, or you can call it NCAA mills with the flat, the dig, and the post. Three-level read, basic stuff. They run it against cover three, but they match it really well, the linebackers do. And he basically... Looks to the flat initially, gives it a quick peek, but then he comes to the dig and he's determined to throw it because he sees the safety staying deep over the post route and looks at it, looks at it, looks at it, late throw, and it's picked. And those two plays are kind of examples of what Nate Tice talked about. If he thinks that first initial read is there, he's going to look at it and look at it and throw it and force the throw. 
And so what the Patriots have to do, if indeed it is Brett Rippon on Sunday afternoon, it's they have to do a good job at showing him something and then immediately taking it away, whether it's trap coverage, whether it's rotating the zone coverages at the snap. You have to make him think when that play begins that I've got this route and then immediately take that route away. And, you know, blitzing him, stuff like that, I'm not as concerned about blitzing him. I've, I'm always of the mind. I know that there are two different schools of thought on this, right? I'm of the mind that as a quarterback of any age and experience level, you want to be blitzed. Because if they blitz you, it makes your decisions easier and it gives you a chance for a big play. You can either hit a hot read or hit something over the top. You get cover zero. You can take a deep shot. You don't have to worry about safety help. So I'm always somebody of the mind that you don't blitz quarterbacks, particularly younger quarterbacks, because it's just making it easier for them. Now other people go in a different direction. Joe Burrow, who's facing the, the Baltimore Ravens this week, he's talked about a lot about how I know they're going to blitz me because I'm a rookie quarterback. Other people feel differently, and that's okay. You know, We're talking about football here. But if it were me, what I'm doing this week to Brett Rippon is I'm taking away his first read. I'm making him think with the football. I'm making him hold the football. I'm making him work his reads. If he beats me by working his reads and getting to the fourth or fifth read on a progression, you tip your hat and you call him your daddy. But if he beats me because I'm blitzing him and I'm letting him like throw hot reads and just throw, throw YOLO go routes to Jerry Judy against cover zero, that's kind of a me problem. And so that's what I'm watching for on Sunday if they do get Brett Rippon, how are they going to defend him? I think you make him think, but I'm just a guy yodeling in front of a microphone. Up next, we're going to talk some Justin Simmons, um, why he's one of the better safeties in the game right now. That's ahead here in episode 141 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 141 of the Sco Show. And we're going to talk Broncos defense right now, which really hasn't been that bad through the first four weeks of the season for them. I mean, you're talking about a defense that, you know, back in week one gave up 16 points to the Titans, 26 to the Steelers, 28 to the Bucks, 28 to the Jets. I think it's been a bit better than was advertised, you know, particularly that Jets game. You get put behind the sticks a couple of times by your undrafted free agent quarterback and Brett Rippon. You know, Tom Brady had some success carving him up a little bit in the vertical passing game, but a lot of those completions were Tom Brady being vintage Tom Brady, making some good throws against tight coverage. Uh, the Steelers game, there were some turnovers in there. You had Jeff Driscoll in that out. And so, you know, I don't think this defense is as bad as the numbers bear it out to be, but the player I want to focus on is Justin Simmons, the safety um, out of Boston College. I think he's been tremendous for them, doing some charting data on him over the past couple of nights. He's played all 298 of their snaps. And he's basically been a high safety. You know, of those 298 snaps, he's played 51 in the middle of the field, you know, as sort of some sort of split safety, 208 of those um, as some sort of split safety alignment. Only a handful of snaps down in the box. Uh, 17, I had him in the box, and then some sort of slot alignment, 20. And I even had a couple of plays where he was outside of as a cornerback. Um, but what he does post-snap varies a little bit you know there are some times when you know he'll draw post snap to a sort of half field alignment i had him trying to pull it up here 66 times he did that post snap um so you see some of the differences there in alignment where you know 208 
of his snaps. He's aligned as a half field safety pre-snap, but then, you know, drop into that sort of half field alignment post-snap. He only does it 66 times, which tells you they're doing a lot of rotation in the secondary. Because in terms of his middle field alignment, 51 pre-snap, 51 plays where he was aligned as a middle of field safety pre-snap. But then in terms of post-snap, 166 times he's in the middle of the field post-snap. So that tells you they're doing a lot of rotation. You see that on the film too. They're spitting their safeties. We know that this has potential to be a problem if it's a Jared Stidham or even a Brian Hoyer. You know, quarterbacks that you know maybe aren't as good as Cam Newton at sort of diagnosing spun safety looks pre-snap versus post-snap. In terms of what else they do with him, they sometimes drop him to the, you know, a hook area at times. They've done that 48 times with him. They've brought him down to the flat a couple of times as well. Ten times they brought him to the flat. They've blitzed him a few times. Looking through my notes here, they blitzed him twice through the inside, and then they blitzed him off the edge a couple of times as well. They've done that six times with him. So they use him all over the field. Um, but what really sort of jumped out to me watching what are those sort of rotation numbers that I talked about? Again, just to reiterate, 51% of the time, I mean, 51 plays, he aligns in the middle of the field pre-snap, whereas 208 he aligns as a half-field safety. But post-snap, he's in the middle of the field 56% of the time, or 166 plays. So it tells you that they're moving them around a lot. He's got good coverage skills. You watched his game against Pittsburgh. He had an interception where it was a scramble drill situation, and he's in basically sticky man coverage. So if you're looking at this defense, I think, as I've talked about so many times with other defenders, who's the guy that, as a quarterback, when you walk to the line of scrimmage, you want to identify first, maybe before the mic or anything else? I think you want to see where Justin Simmons is on the field. You want to see, okay, where is he aligned? It won't tell you the full picture because we just talked about those rotation numbers are critically, critically important. But it'll at least give you an inkling as to what they're going to do in the secondary. I'll get you a third of the way there. You also want to see where he's going to be post-snap. You know, they do a lot of different zone coverage techniques in the secondary. You know, I saw 76 plays where some kind of man coverage, cover one basically, uh, in the secondary from Denver. I saw 170 plays or so uh, where it's some sort of zone, two, three, four, six, that they're playing in the secondary. And so they've played more zone than man, but a decent enough amount of man, cover one, um, where you might want to be ready for both. And Justin Simmons is a big part of that because he has good zone technique, good eyes in zone coverage situations. Whether he's a middle-of-the-field defender or a half-field safety, he has the ability to read a quarterback and click and close quickly on throws. But also when they go cover one and he's down as a strong safety on tight ends, he can stick on those guys. When it's cover four, which ends up being sort of man principles, 
you know, dependent on the releases of the receivers, that's where he got his interception against Pittsburgh. That was on a cover four play where he's basically playing man technique on the receiver, sticks on him, he's right in his hip pocket, and when Roethlisberger breaks the pocket and tries to scramble draw throw, he's able to cut underneath it. And so as I've said so many times, look, I know I talk about safeties a lot, but as somebody that's been watching this game, I keep my eyes on those safeties. They tell you what is happening in the defense. And if I'm Cam Newton or Brian Hoyer or Jarrett Stidham, when we have the football and when I walk to the line of scrimmage, I'm I'm identifying where 31 is first. And everything I do from that builds off of that. So that's my thoughts on the Broncos' defense. I think, look, I think you can move the ball on these guys. I think they're better than advertised, but they're still not great. The guy that worries me the most is Justin Simmons. So he's going to be fun to watch, provided we do get a game on Sunday. But folks, that will do it for me for today. I will be back post-game, um, hopefully with a glorious victory episode. Until then, stay safe, check in on your neighbors, check in on your loved ones, wash those hands, and what do you do? Sin along. Bless those Patriots reigns down in Fox.